Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Yes, come on. No, stand up. Stand up, Takeover Church. Come on, praise him like you know he's here. Come on. Thank you, Prophet Angie. Oh my gosh. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, have a seat, you holy animals. Gosh, we love you. It's almost Christmas time. We can almost bust it out. Uh, Man, how great, like our prophet Angie, she's amazing, and, and, and our amazing prayer leader Grant over here holding it down on keys, just take over worship in general. What an amazing morning we've had in church, amen? I don't, I don't know about you, but I just, I, I came today, I want more Jesus. <laughs> I want more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus, Amen. The heavens are roaring. The praise of his glory. Wow, that was, a, that was light, thunder, right? Let's go. No, this used to be an airport. It's no longer an airport, okay? The only thing going up over here is you and me, amen? Come on, praises, baby. Oh, well, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, Matt, yes, my name is uh, Pastor Matt. My wife, Adrienne, and I, we uh, lead this uh, wonderful band of misfits for the kingdom and glory of God, amen? And uh, welcome to our Millennium Falcon known as Takeover Church, as my wife has appropriately dubbed it. Um, but this morning, there's a lot on my mind, there's a lot on my heart, and I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty uh, torn up from the floor up this morning for the glory of God, and uh, I'm excited to preach, and I'm excited to, to get into the sermon with you, and I, I, it would just be remiss of me real quick if we didn't preface this with saying, he's here, he's here. And, and, and friends, it's more than just hype that I have you stand up and shout for. It's more than just uh, excitement. It's more than just this religious activity that we do. Believe me, friends, the second Takeover Church becomes religious, the, takeover, the second this place becomes just another house that goes through the motions, I will shut this down and I will move to China. You think I'm laughing? You think I'm joking? I'm dead serious. We, we will never allow this to become just another religious experience where religious people come and we do our religious acts of service, we do our religious things. No, no, no. This will always be founded on, predicated, built in, rooted in, and built out of what? The living, tangible presence of Jesus. Amen? This is what we do here. We don't do a religion. We, we, we live and we bask in a relationship where he takes time out of ruling the universe and meets with us. Amen. I'm, I'm broken. I'm broken before you this morning because I, I, I am in desperate need of more of him and it's all that I long for this morning. And there are moments, friends, where I get this twisted and I, and I, and I get disappointed because of because of who's here and who's not here and how things are going on my staff and how things are not going on my staff. And I get disappointed and I get let down by the human element of it all. And truly it's when I realize my disappointment in the human element of it all that my eyes are, are not on him. I, I can't be disappointed in you when my eyes are on him because I'm not thinking about you, I'm thinking about him. And likewise, the, likewise, the inverse is the same for you. You can't be disappointed about your left or your right because your eyes are you're on him. 
suddenly we just we find ourselves in this place again of taking our eyes and lifting them and fixating on the one true Jesus. That's what this whole thing's about. We don't come here so I can take over your life. We don't come here so a church can take over your life. We don't come here so that you can take over your life. We come here so that Jesus can further take over our lives. And by way of taking over our lives, we can see an entire region taken over by the glory of God. That's what we do here. Amen. Come on. Praise him one more time. Praise him one more time. That's right. That's right. Talk to me, girl. Oh, okay. Well, we are continuing our stewardship of our year-long prophetic word for this house coming out of Luke 12, 49 through 50, fire upon the earth, where Jesus said his mission statement was that he came with a baptism of fire, and he came to set a people, a body, and a bride ablaze for his glory. Amen. That is what we are doing this year. If he has said, this is my mission, I want to give it to him. I want to give it to him. I don't care what every other pastor and every other church and every other Christian is interested in. I am interested in one thing, giving to Jesus what he wants, giving to Jesus what he desires. Amen. So that's what we're going to continue to do. And speaking of continuing to do, how great was Pastor Adrian's message? Cuts the stone last week. Come on. Took me hours to figure out how to put the visuals in the video podcast. So bless up. Anyways, she killed it. It would have been fine without it, but it was a pretty cool achievement. It's literally importing and sticking. It's, it's, it's silly. Don't worry about it. Just wanted some glory. Okay, that's good. That's good. But if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my sermon for week 42, I said week 42 of fire upon the earth, baby, is Pharisees, prostitutes, and the presence of fire. Pharisees, prostitutes, and the presence of fire. Pharisees, prostitutes, and the presence of fire. Now, I know the second I start saying the word prostitute, we get weird. And I'm glad. Because you need to be uncomfortable. I need to be uncomfortable. We need to be uncomfortable. Because we're going to find ourselves, spoiler alert, at the place today where you and I, we desire to be the prostitute in the story. Who's ready for the B-I-B-L-E? Who loves their Bible? I love my Bible. If you would, would you turn to Luke 7? Man, I've been loving just reading out of my Bible when we start service. I've been doing it for like five weeks now instead of like my illuminated Bible over there. And I feel like the Lord's just breathing on it. Luke 7, 36 through 50. If you don't have a Bible, we got loads of free blue ones out in the foyer. Um, but also Killer Kells and Killer Kenny in the booth. Uh, we'll have it down in the Sky Bible up there. Here we go. Luke 7, 36 through 50. Are you there? Do you need a minute? Tough luck. All right. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at his table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with their hair. 
of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman she is that is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, reading his mind, answers him, Simon, which is Simon the Pharisee, not Simon the Zealot or Simon as in Peter, just so we're clear today. Simon the Pharisee. Simon, I have something to say to you. I love how Jesus takes Simon says and turns it around. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered it. Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, Simon... Which of them will love him more? Simon pondered and he answers, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with her ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray and we're going to see what the Lord will do today. Does that sound good? Amazing. Father, we love you. We ask right now that you would just do the unimaginable in this moment. God, I didn't come today for, for just another spiritual check-in. Father, we didn't come today just to see how we are doing. No, 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 we came today to see you. We came today to see you. Lord, 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 I, I'm, I'm not interested in a, in a sanctified test or a sin test this morning. Today, Lord, I, I came to see you. Lord, I came today for us all to get our eyes off ourselves, Lord, and get them firmly on you. Get our eyes off those around our tables and get them back on you today, Lord. I pray, would you break us open? Would you break us open, Lord Jesus, and have your way in us? Have your way. What is in us that you love and that you've called holy and that you've built for yourself, let it stay and remain and grow and produce greater fruit in the days ahead. But that which is in us, God, that is still not like you, not brought by you, not brought in by you, not called by you, not built by you, Lord, cast it out. Father, today I pray those words of Jesus. Would you cut those things off from us, God, so that parts of us can burn in hell instead of the rest of us. Father, today I didn't, I didn't come for any other reason. I didn't even come to preach. God, I came to look at you. I'm here to look at you. So let me look at you while I tell us about you. Take me by the hand. Captivate me arrest me with your presence this morning I want nothing but you I love you Jesus you are the delight of my life you are the apple of my eye you are what I long for and desire more than anything so father would you give us all that burden today would you give us all that grief God that deep longing for more of you today Jesus 
and let us look at you. Would you reward us this morning with a fresh glimpse? I know that your eyes are like flames of fire. And I know that your hair is white as wool. And I know that your voice, it sounds like waters. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Reveal the sun to us. Every other spirit, go. There's been a spirit of gossip in our church. Spirit of gossip, go. Spirit of depression and suicide and distraction and division, go. Every spirit except the Holy Spirit, take a knee and leave. Because this is holy ground. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and have your way. Overthrow and take over every single one of us for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' mighty and faith-filled name, we all said, amen. Amen. Pharisees, prostitutes, and the presence of fire. Pharisees, prostitutes, and the presence of fire. And you know I like three Pharisees, prostitutes, and the presence of fire. Now, as a lot of you are aware, this last week I, I had the privilege and honor of being with the other Radiant Network pastors, and we shuttled away up north, and we tucked ourselves away for a few days in a place called Thompsonville, and I got to tell you, if I wasn't there with other men of God, I would never go back to Thompsonville. Um, sorry. <laughs> I love that place. Good for you. It's great. I love being there with other men of God. <laughs> but we were there, and I had this moment with some of the, the other men that I don't, I don't often get to see and I don't get, often get to speak with, but these men, they, they have something about them. You see, last year when I left, I realized the maturity that happens in a room and you just get people who don't need the lights and the aesthetics, the accoutrement, they don't need the veneer of church. When you get together with the most literal, mature men and women in the church, the lead pastors, at least they should be, when you get together with them, oh, everything else fades and you pierce the veil immediately. There is, there is no need to like butter us up into the presence. We, we know why we're there. We're there to meet with him. And so there's this maturity that happens. God can just immediately break into a room and break into lives because we are just willing participants. He doesn't have to get us to a place to allow him to move. No, no, no. We willfully lay down and we say, come Lord, have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our minds, in our marriages, in our church, in our theology, in our views of you and your ministry. Like, come and have your way. And he rewards that every single time. See, often I think you and I, we're just, we're caught up in the rat race of religion. And we're just trying to get him to do something. And he's just trying to get us to be with him. He's always doing. We're just not always being. Amen. He's like, you don't get it. I don't sleep. <laughs> I'm always alive, active, moving, and sharper than a double-edged sword, and I'm always piercing between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. I am always. And what are we always doing? Right? So the invitation is always there. He's looking for a people who will come and get away with him. And, and when I got together with these other men that I don't usually get to be with and I got to have these experiences and conversations. I'll tell you, I got asked about a good number of things about Takeover Church and what we do and why I'm insane and like things like that, which is great. <laughs> One guy literally asked me, 
why do you preach so hard when you have like a small young church? <laughs> I think he was joking and I think he thought it was funny. And I said, bro, I don't, I don't pastor a small church. I pastor a mega church, a mega powerful church. <laughs> like you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. He shows up. It is not to our glory or our credit. <laughs> it's because we're willful participants in his story. And when you're a willful participant in his story, he will unravel his glory. <laughs> he will pour out. That's what he says. And so I got to see that. I had these many questions and I had these many moments. And I'm just telling you this because there was something that happened. I, I had the opportunity to pray with some other legends who, yes, pastor greater churches than I have and have numbers and money and all the stuff we don't. And it was amazing. But they were asking me, how do I see Jesus? And I'm like, why are you asking me? <laughs> and they said, because you see Jesus. You see Jesus. And I'm not saying this to, to have you go, oh, look at our pastor. <laughs> you're, you're blessed to be my presence. No, no, I'm insane. It's fine. But when I got asked, how do, how, do, how do I see Jesus? Teach me how to see Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's humbling. But at the same time, I realized the desperate need. This, this hour, it is going to be the pressure cooker of, of, of eternity, of our lifetime. Wars and rumors of war, revelation is unfolding before our eyes. These things are happening. And what is John's invitation? Come up here so I can show you. There's a great need in this hour, friends, for you and I, pastor and layman alike, for all of us in the body and bride of Christ to see him rightly. And so I got to be with these men and we got to pray and we got to seek God and I had moments that I've never actually gotten to do before. You see, I was, I was brought up in a time and a place where, where some pastors took me aside and they let me see how they prayed. They didn't just... Asked me to, hey, watch from afar, watch how I do things on Sundays. No, 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 I got to be in offices and I got to be in places where they were literally like, hey, I'm going to go in. As you can just sit in the corner and watch or you can join in. <laughs> That's discipleship. That's discipleship. People all the time ask, like, why do you go on? on long prayers and long things and why do you do this and it's and it's one because that's what I do when I'm alone with Jesus so why would I change that just because I'm with you and Jesus second of all I'm a pastor I'm a shepherd this is I, I need to model for you how to speak to him so I get to talk to my best friend in the presence of my family and hopefully my family gets to see how to talk to their best friend pretty much the honor of my life. <laughs> Since being married to Adrian, it's pretty much the honor of my life. And so as I was with these men, and we'll get to the scriptures, don't worry. But as I was with these men, I, I realized there was phrases being spun about in our prayer, influence, influence, influence. And I, and I ceased a prayer meeting with grown men, and I love these men, and I'm not saying anything but I felt the spirit moving in that moment. And I heard it. And it's, it's been this word that the Lord has used with us all year long. It's this word begets. 
It's this word begets, right? Like, like intimacy begets ministry. Ministry does not beget intimacy. Like we've talked about this all year long, right? If you're new with us, that's, that's a great word. Intimacy always begets ministry, but ministry does not always beget intimacy. But as I was with these men and we got to pray and we got to seek his face, all of a sudden I realized I am with men who desire more influence in the heavens than they do the earth. And all of a sudden I realized influence in the earth doesn't always beget influence in heaven. But influence in the heavens always begets influence in the earth. And all of a sudden I began to crave this unlike any other craving I've ever had before. Oh, how I began to pray prayers like, I don't care if my church ever receives from me if he does. What, what, what does God need to receive from man? Absolutely nothing, but he has to receive everything. <laughs> and suddenly, <laughs> I, I, I come back and I met with extreme spiritual warfare, so fun times there. But the truth remained the same, friends. The call remained the same. The crucial moment that me and these pastors, we found ourselves in sweating together at 6 a.m. I made other pastors get up with me at 4.30 and seek his face. And what happened in those rooms and in those prayer moments is we heard from the heavens, seek influence with me and I will give you influence with thee. Seek influence with me, and I will give you influence with thee. See, friends, beget, 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 beget. Influence in the earth does not always beget influence in heaven, but influence in the heavens always begets influence in the earth. Well, Pastor Matt, how do you know? That is an immeasurability. You're right. Except when I'm with these men and I'm speaking to these men and I'm hearing the testimonies, all of a sudden Jesus is on their words. My heart starts to burn when I'm with them. My heart starts to burn when I'm with them. And we start talking about the things the Lord has done. And I don't mean like I'm getting hyped, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like, ah. Oh. <laughs> like I start like snotting and weeping and I'm like, yes. <laughs> It's not, it's not hype. It's, it's the holies of holies breaking out and living in through people's lives today. It's not stories of old. It is, it is the tangible living presence of God invading a given space and time because he decided, I like what they're offering to me. It's amazing. It's amazing. And this man, he started praying over me and it's interesting because I've had this word a couple times. And I think when people see me on my knees, they, uh, they think something's wrong. <laughs> and maybe something is. Maybe something is. I'm unaware of it because I'm with Jesus. Um, but I keep getting this word and people kept saying to me, Matt, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Matt, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Matt, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Right, church? Like his yoke is and his burden is I don't think we understand that verse. I don't think we understand that verse. 
Because we say it like it's some sort of pep talk. We say it like it's some sort of pick-me-up. We say it like it's supposed to be this like good news that we're hearing, and it is. Don't get it twisted. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's the opposite. However, what I am saying is we say that verse, we flaunt that verse, we pass that verse around, and we are so whimsical and passe about that verse that we don't stop to consider what it means. His yoke is easy. What is a yoke? A yoke is a stave. It is a ringlet. It is a big, massive piece of wood that goes on the back of two mules who are supposed to be equal in size. And it's used to what? Plow fields and pull grain. Plow fields and pull grain. And then he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, both Jesus and Paul have told us about what we are to do with our burdens, right? We, we cast them onto Jesus, Jesus says, cast them onto me for I care for you, right? We know that. And then Paul says, we cast our burdens onto one another because we are to care for one another just as Christ cares for us. So what we see there is two mules bound together for an assignment, a task, and a duty and the prosperity of the farm and or the kingdom. And then we see what? Friendship. That not only is the yoke that is easy, the engagement ring of the bridegroom and his bride, but it is the burdens that we get to pass off and share and offload that speaks to our friendship with the bridegroom. See, Jesus isn't just going to marry the hottest, sleekest, most beautiful, well-put-together-looking-on-Instagram, photoshopped church bride. He's going to marry a beautiful best friend that he has tilled with, ministered with, built with, brought prosperity to the kingdom with, and at the end of all of it, he laces her in white. He's yoked and he is best friends with her. I'm talking about proximity. You see, we throw around, his yoke is easy and his burden is light and we don't realize, no, no, no. In order to be yoked with him, we have to be with him. In order to be yoked with him, we have to be next to him. In order to be yoked with him, we have to say, yes, Lord, I will grow to size. And until I am, bring me along with you. Teach me your ways. And then let me take that yoke upon me and I will go to work and to war with you, Jesus. And his burden is light. So many of us, we have burdens that are utter darkness. And could it be? Not that you don't want to be friends with Jesus, but could it be you're still friends with yourself more? Could it be you're still friends with this world more and the ambitions that come along with it? The job, the career, the marriages, the relationships, the sex, all the stuff that this world offers us. Could it be, friends, that the reason we live with a burden of darkness or a burden with gloominess or a burden of being downtrodden or whatever it may be, could it be that we have not been yoked appropriately and seen him rightly as our friend Jesus?
talking about proximity. There's a closeness with him, a relationship with him. I felt like I left my prayer advance and I just felt God's heart saying, Matt, can you go back and can you show them how to love me? And I'm like, I thought I've been doing that all year. And he was like, no, you've been teaching them to burn for me, but there is no burning for me without first loving me. So let me start my five-point apology by not laying this down first and foremost in the beginning of the year. But there's a type of, there's a type of burning that only comes when you are head over heels in love. There's a burning that only comes with the yearning of love. You can be hyped on something or you can be set on fire for something. And I'm telling you, the difference between hype and fire is love. It's love. It is mad, fallen out of your tree, silly kind of love. So Pastor Matt, what does it have to do with Pharisees, prostitutes, and the presence of fire? Everything has everything to do with Pharisees. It has everything to do with prostitutes. It has everything to do with the living, tangible presence of God. Because one of the things that I walked away with Because if I want to have influence in heaven, I've got to see him rightly. And if I don't see him rightly, it's only because I don't love him rightly. Friends, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus has a way that he wants to be perceived. Jesus has a way that he wants to be seen. Jesus has a way that he wants to be presented and for you to view him and to receive him. Do you know that? Just like you and I, we have a way that we want our significant other, our spouse, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our church family. We have ways that we wish people would see us. Jesus desires the same. And in fact, if we don't see him rightly, it limits his ability to move in our lives and through our lives greatly. And so I'm just undone before you today. I had half a mind to come in here and just look at him and wait for you to leave. <laughs> What's pastor doing? He's just looking at Jesus. Well, what are we supposed to do? I don't know, I guess we can go home. No, we should probably look at Jesus. <laughs> but the Lord was like, no, 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 I, I need you to tell him about the Pharisees and the prostitutes. And so here we are. The book of Luke, which I love, Dr. Luke, if you don't know Dr. Luke, he wrote Luke, <laughs> obviously. He wrote Acts, and he wrote most of Paul's letters for him, just in case you don't know. And so Luke, he's an he's, he's amazing man of God. He, he is a missionary. He's an evangelist of the highest order, and he also writes the finest Greek in all of New Testament Christianity. Literally, the first four verses of Luke is held in high esteem. Literally, today, people will tell you, there's Shakespeare, there's the Iliad, and there's Luke 1 through 4. Or Luke 1, 1 through 4. 
They love it because it's beautiful. And so Luke, he writes with extreme passion because he's writing to Greeks and Greeks care what Jesus did. They don't really care what Jesus said. They want to know what he did because they like a good story. (laughs) And so he gets to this point in his writings to his church some 20 years after all the events have happened. And that's also good for you to know when reading your Bible. These dudes weren't just writing this down. No, this was ordered by the Holy Spirit so that they could better equip the church. No, no, you need to tell them all that he did. Tell them all that he said. And so Luke does that. He's fulfilling his assignment. And he's talking about how Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It says right before this that Jesus fixed his gaze on Jerusalem. And you wonder why they've been fending off so many wars for so many years. Because as much as he's waiting for his bride to be made ready, Jesus still very clearly has an eye, at the very least, set on his first chosen people, Jerusalem, Israel. So Jesus sets his gaze on Jerusalem and he's getting ready to go in and we see all this stuff happening that's leading up to these events and all of a sudden Jesus finds himself with some Pharisees which is interesting if you know anything about Jesus's relationship with Pharisees it's not a good one (laughs) Jesus and the Pharisees they don't get along mostly the Pharisees are accusing him interrogating him trying to stone him they literally tried to push him off a cliff after the sermon on the mount (laughs) they wanted to kill him before they killed him. It's wild. And so all of a sudden, one of them invites Jesus to their house. And he's like, yeah, Simon, I'll come. And so he goes to Simon's house. And I imagine it's much of the same because literally the only interactions we see with Jesus and Pharisees are them literally telling him off how he's breaking the Sabbath, how he's healing people when he shouldn't be, how he's breaking the law, how he's doing all of these things. He's not at all what they wanted or what they wished for or what they believed Isaiah was prophesying, but he is everything to this day that Israel needs. Amen? And so we see this moment, and I'm assuming Jesus is reclining at this table and he's still getting talked down to, and I gotta tell you, Jesus will always go. I know we talk about this a lot, but hear me today. Jesus will always go where he's invited. Even the Pharisee's house. Which should be a check for all of us. How's my relationship? How's my love? Am I doing a lot of great things like the church of Ephesus and Revelation, but yet I've lost my first love? Am I a Pharisee? I honestly, I think that's a question we need to ask. I think there's times where we can, we can just go through the motions. And I'm not saying there aren't times in every marriage where you literally have to plow to keep going forward. You don't always feel the most love. You don't always feel all the warm, fuzzy butterflies. Those things, yes, they have a time where life happens and it kind of starts to wean them. But that's not how it's supposed to be. So just because that's the reality doesn't mean that we succumb to that feeling. Doesn't mean that we bow to that reality. Doesn't mean we bow out of our marriages, no. No, no, we lean in harder. We buy more flowers. We get more chocolate. We go on more date nights. We do everything we can to stoke the flames of love, right? It's what we do. And if you're in here today and you didn't know that's how a marriage is supposed to be, there's your word for today. Some of you came here just to receive that. 
You don't succumb to your feelings. You pursue the fire in every arena. You don't succumb to your feelings. You pursue the fire. And so Jesus goes where he's invited, even to a Pharisee's house, which I think is incredible because here's the deal. Jesus is often invited to our homes, but how is he treated once he gets there? Jesus is often invited to this home. How do you treat him once he gets here? Because in a moment, we're going to see two very different responses. See, there's three different kinds of people besides Jesus in this room at this given moment, but there's really only two responses. So when Jesus is invited into your home and into your family, into your workplace, into your prayer life, and into this church, how do you respond to him? How is he treated by you? When Jesus accepts your invitation, is he ignored or is he adored? Is he ignored or is he adored? Are we more concerned with all of the things that are going on around or about or kind of interested in Jesus like the people? Or are we just captivated with adoring him? We adore him. Because when we're with him, we can ignore all others. But when we're with him, we cannot ignore him. And I wonder today, church, when Jesus walks into this room, we know where two or more gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. That's a guarantee straight from the throne of God, friends. So we know he's here. How do you respond? Who are you at this table? As Jesus comes and he reclines, I love it. He rests even in the midst of Pharisees, it says. He reclines at his table. That means Jesus comes where he's invited and he desires to rest. It's what his company does and his host does once he arrives that makes all the difference. Are you picking up what I'm laying down this morning? Are you smelling what I'm selling this morning? This moment is paramount for you and I, the church, the believers, lovers of God in this hour. He will always honor our invitation with his presence. Do we always honor his presence with our adoration? He will always honor our invitation with his presence. Do we honor his presence with our adoration? Jesus has a way that he wishes to be perceived. You see, I think we live in a time and place where we have a lot of churches, friends, and I love them, God bless them, great. But we live in a time and place where a lot of churches are interested in telling you just how much God loves you. What I feel in the spirit right now is God is looking for pastors and churches to rise up and to prophesy and to proclaim, no, we need to love God more. We have been spoon-fed God's love for 50 years in this nation. We know he loves us. God so loved the world. Does the church so love God? Do you so love God? It's in this time and place, I'm telling you, he has a way that he desires to be perceived. It is through the lens of love, maddening love. I don't know when the last time I ever heard a pastor say, you need to love God more. Because we live in a religious place, in a religious climate, where we hear you need to love God more, and we think you need to do more. No, 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 you need to love him more. 
Well, I don't know how to love them outside of doing. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a problem. Well, is it pursuit even of itself doing something? I would say by definition, yes. Yes. But when the one that you are pursuing is the personification of Sabbath, <laughs> pursuit of him isn't work. It's Sabbath. It's rest. I need a day off. No, you need a day with Jesus. <laughs> you need an hour <laughs> with Jesus. I'm telling you, friends, this is where the world is heading and this is what the Spirit is saying. You need to be more in love with God. You need to be more in love with Jesus. So much is gonna come. So much is gonna happen. He will accept your invitation. But what do you do once you have him in the room? Once he's here in the room, friends, do you wanna know what's crazy? Is I get people all the time going, Matt, why are you the way you are in worship? My response, you should see me at home. That's not to talk about how great I am. That's to tell you, friends, there are... <sighs> There's a love, there's a pursuit. There is something that will make you look strange and peculiar and maddening to the world around you. They won't be able to put a finger on you, understand you, and they will still yet ask questions and their interest will be piqued. What is it? What is it that got you burning? What is it that's got you so revved up? What is it that's got you so insane? Because I don't want to be the Pharisee that when Jesus comes to rest, I, I'm disinterested. We'll see in a moment, the Pharisee didn't even offer Jesus any of the things as a rabbi or as guest or even just how the Levitical law was at the time. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't do any of that. And yet he would have done that for his enemy but he didn't even do that for Jesus. Jesus has a way that he needs his bride to see him. And it's not because he got it wrong and he acted up in front of us and ruined his reputation. No, no, no. It's that our eyes aren't high enough. It's that we're not looking deep enough. We're not looking, friends, I'd even say long enough. If your prayer life, your time with him, is simply relegated to your two-second grace before dinner? You don't know him. I'm telling you, you can be saved by him and not know him. Lots of people are saved from a great number of things and don't have a relationship with police officers or firemen. I am telling you, you can be saved by him and still not know him. And if you don't know him, how can you love him? This isn't a condemning message. This is a wedding the appetite message. This is we're going to finish off 2023 so strong because we are going to be ravenous. We are going to be ravenous unto revival. We are going to have a hunger and a thirst that cannot be satiated unless the feet of Jesus touches down on this earth again. You can clap. No, seriously, go. Not for me. That's for him. That's who we're going to be. So what happens next? What happens next is this 
prostitute comes breaking in. We need to pause right there. A prostitute breaks in to a Pharisee's house. Now, I really love John's version of this and his gospel, and we'll touch on that at the end of service. But what's interesting is in John's gospel, Jesus kind of hits his little side eye where the uh, Pharisee is saying these things in his head like, if you even knew who this woman was or what this woman did, you would not let her touch your feet, right? And Jesus hits back and is like, how do you know what kind of woman she is? How does a prostitute know the home of a Pharisee? We don't want to talk about these things in church. We, we want to go back to like, hey, can you just regurgitate Stephen Furtick's best hits for me? Church will grow a whole lot faster, bro. That's what we want. And I love Stephen Furtick. I honor him. He's the prince of preachers, absolutely. But that's what we desire. And I'm telling you, it won't take us to that next place and it won't fortify us for the hour that we're in and it won't develop an interior life that can withstand the pressures of the outside world. Paul says we are crushed but not defeated. How many Christians are living on cotton candy preaching and living defeated lives? Living crushed lives. We cannot, we will not, not on my watch, as long as there is breath in my lungs, I don't even care if there's a dollar in the bank account, as long as I have breath in my lungs, we will not be that church. We will not be that church. And so, Jesus hits back and is like, how do you know? So this prostitute, she breaks in. She breaks in. She's not invited. She just heard, it says, she heard that Jesus was reclining at his table. Notice the words. She heard Jesus was resting somewhere. And what was her good and perfect response? She broke in. <laughs> She broke in. Church, I desire and I have a call of God on my life to lead and build for him a church full of big Christians, big people in the spirit, not puffed up and inflamed on carbohydrates and Christianity like cotton candy, but people who live on the word, who built in the spirit and who love looking at Jesus. Why do I say all that? Because I believe God has called you and I to raise up such a place that people are waiting outside in lines to get in when we open the doors. Well, pastor, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, but it's in the heart of God. He has. He's seen that. God has seen that. He has birthed that inside me. And he has said, we will raise up a place that he loves to come so much that people will desire to break in in order to get in his presence. They will line up until you unlock those doors. That's the church in God's heart for Grand Rapids. Right? But let me tell you, friends, if we're waiting for that kind of response, to come from outsiders, but he's not seeing that response from insiders, we'll never see that prophetic dream come to pass. I am telling you, friends, when you hear that God is resting somewhere, like we see him rest here. If you weren't here Wednesday, you missed out. I don't say that to shame you. I say to tell you I was flat on my face for most of it. And not because I'm emotional. Lord knows I'm emotional deficit, okay? If I didn't have the Holy Spirit, my wife hates when I say this, but I got to tell you, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit, Matt McClure would be a sociopath. Just telling you, I would be. Everything I know about love and emotions, he taught me. Everything I know about being a good husband, Adrian, was never modeled for me. He put that in me. He showed me how to love her. 
I'm telling you. Listen to me. When we hear that he's resting somewhere, how do we respond? Do we respond like the Pharisee or do we respond like the prostitute? Do we respond like the Pharisee who's like, yeah, he's here. This happens every week. It's no big deal. No, God came. <laughs> what do you mean it's no big deal? You want to know how I know that some of us, we, teach, we treat it like it's no big deal. We don't bring anybody with us. Pastor Matt come back from a prayer advance and just decided to spank everybody? No. I'm telling you what's in the heart of God. And friends, if we don't know what's in the heart of God, if we don't write it down, if we don't make it plainly like my sister before service was telling me about, if we don't do that and bring it before you, how will we know what's possible and how will we know what God has in his heart for his church? We have to talk about these things. We have to talk about him. We have to talk about his dreams, his wishes, his desires, the things that he longs to see in the earth. We have to talk about these things because if we don't talk about those things, we're gonna talk about us. And no offense, church has been about us long enough. I literally heard a guy say, not at the prayer advance, it was somebody else, you can't spell Jesus without us. I said, dude, I'm moving five feet away in case the lightning strikes. Like... I'm going to leave the one for the 99. You know what I'm saying? Like, not today. <laughs> you can't spell Jesus without us. Ah, mm. uh, you know? The fact that you're right is eerily scary there, uh, serpent. Uh, <laughs> you know? I guess that's a reason he's referred to as the Christ. <laughs> I'm telling you. How do we respond when we find out he's resting somewhere? If that's a dream in God's heart is that people would line up to be in this room because his manifest tangible presence is here where healing is easy, deliverance is easy, repentance of sin is easy. People could come and they can confess pornography, homosexuality, adultery. They can come and it's not judged upon, but it's celebrated that they repented, that they loved, that they came back home and we throw them a party and we give them a ring and a robe and we wash their feet. I am telling you, this is the kind of church that he is birthing in grace. Grand Rapids in this hour at this time and it's called takeover and it's who you and I are called to be how will we respond when we find out he's resting here how will we respond so she breaks in and then what happens when she breaks in she breaks up she breaks up she broke in. She came where she wasn't wanted, where she wasn't invited, not only because she's a prostitute, which is the second worst offensive thing you could be at the time. The first among them is a tax collector. And so the first, second worst thing that you could be at the time is a prostitute. The third worst thing you could be at the time is a woman. And she's two of those things. You know what I'm saying? She does not have the equity as a human to go into Pharisee's house, especially without her husband. And guess what? We know she doesn't have husbands. Or she doesn't have a husband. In fact, she has a lot of husbands. She's been married to many. And so she breaks in and then she breaks up. What does she break up with? Everything. She breaks apart at the feet of Jesus. She doesn't wait for an invitation. She breaks in on him. He is resting at a Pharisee's house. And guess what? Even a Pharisee can invite God in and he will still break up the prostitute. And so she breaks open on him and she begins to what? She begins weeping, crying at his feet. 
And yet we sit in judgment of those who are having an emotional experience in the presence of God. Friends, how would you respond if all of your sins, which are many, are forgiven before you? I'm telling you, maybe we haven't taken a drink recently of what that forgiveness looks like. Maybe we haven't looked in the proverbial prophetic mirror in a minute and seen what we are and what we are in desperate need of and what we are severely lacking, but he is the answer and the cure and the remedy for all. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? It's not you, champ, and it never will be, but Jesus. But Jesus. But Jesus. He's the fairest. He's the darling of heaven. And with his fairness and with his darlingness and with his mercy and his judgment and his wrath and his grace and his love and all that he has combined, he forgives sins. And suddenly the unlovable becomes lovely at his feet. The unlovable the uncommittable, the unable to bequeath with and betrothed to woman. She's what? She's bequeathed everything that he has and betrothed to all that he is. Happens in a moment. She breaks up, tears, washing his well-traveled, Birkenstocked feet, weeping. You know what's amazing? She would have no feet to wash with her tears or her hair if the Pharisee had an appropriate response to who was at his table. (laughs) You know what that tells me? There are things God will do in the room on some that he won't do in all because of how you and I see him. How you perceive him determines how you receive him. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Oh, this is better than your response. (laughs) How you perceive him determines how you receive him. How you perceive him determines how you receive him, what you receive from him. I am telling you, friends. And so she breaks open and she washes his nasty feet. Yes, Jesus, our Savior, had gross feet. Everybody did. No, no Nikes, okay? No wellies, no Merrill apparel, no Chacos or whatever's cool with the hipster granola kids these days. None of that existed. Just Birkenstocks and nasty feet. So in reality, just nasty feet because Birkenstocks are disgusting. And if you wear them, I will talk about you. (laughs) To your face (laughs) and in memes (laughs) to others. But hear me. Good, we got you you to laugh, got you to laugh, that's good. Need you to get a little breath. I know we're gator rolling deep today, but just a little breath, okay? Get your lungs back up. If he would have had the appropriate response, she never would have had the opportunity. Are you hearing me? He missed out on her blessing. It's a blessing to love him well. It's a blessing to love him well. And then not only that, she's weeping. She's washing his feet with her tears. She's using her hair. And then what does she do? She got her alabaster jar and she breaks it open at his feet. Now, not only is alabaster this expensive thing, and we'll get to that in just a second, but when she heard Jesus was reclining somewhere, when she heard Jesus was resting somewhere, her first response wasn't, I'm gonna go over there immediately. Her first response wasn't, oh, I I need to get looking good. 
rabbi's here. Got to be in my Saturday best. That's when they had church. No, no, no. She didn't go home to freshen up. She went home and got her most prized possession. Her most prized possession. The thing that she put the most money into, which how did she make her money, friends? Prostitution. Her most prized, prostituted possession. She ran home and she went and got a gift, an offering fit for a king. Oh, Pastor Matt's about to start talking about tithing. I'm not, but what if I did? But what if I did? What would our good and appropriate response be? Because she's a prostitute. She's not even yet saved. She's not even a daughter yet. And yet she knows that when rabbi is reclining, when the Messiah is resting, when his presence is found in a home and he's available, I'm going to break in, I'm going to break up, and then I'm going to break open my most valuable prized possession. Doesn't matter how I came across it. Doesn't matter how I got it. I have no shame on me anymore because I left my shame at his feet and I break open what I paid for with my body. So yeah, I'm not going to talk about tithing because contextually that's not what that's about and I'm, uh, I'm all about context. But buddy, if that doesn't apply to how you and I view him. <laughs> she went and she knew, she knew, listen, listen, what did he receive from her in that moment? Received her tears, so her past. Got her past, got her brokenness. Got every sexual act, everything that was done to her, taken from her, everything she willfully participated in and unwillfully participated in, everything that had happened to her up until that point, what? Poured out on his feet in tears. And then what? Her hair. So he receives her dignity. What she thinks makes her beautiful. Do you know why she would have ointment, perfume? Because in that time and place, they didn't dress like you and me. In fact, the things that men would covet the most about prostitutes at that time was her hair. The things that men would purchase sex from her based off of because it's like the only thing they could see is what she chose to wash his feet with. Are you seeing this? How do you and I respond when Jesus is in the room? How do you and I respond when Jesus is in the room? How do you and I respond when we find out he rests somewhere? How do we treat that moment? How do we treat that church? How do we treat those small groups? How do we treat those worship nights? How do we treat when his manifest presence is showing up at 6 a.m. on a Friday? Clearly, it doesn't matter to Jesus whether your hair is all done up or not. Just get in the car and go. But how do, you, how do we respond? Because the thing that men would find the most beautiful, that she would have perfume to make sound good and look good, and, or sound good, smell good and look good, to attract, she washes his dirty, well-traveled feet with her history, her dignity. What else does, she re what else does he receive? Well, he receives her offering but it was an offering paid for with her body. So Jesus receives her body. 
and all that she's been able to accomplish with it. He receives everything from her in this moment. Received nothing from the Pharisee at all besides an invitation. Woman wasn't even given an invitation. She just heard, and what does she do? She gives him everything. She breaks in, breaks up, and breaks open at the feet of Jesus. How do we respond? She takes the very thing she bought with shame and guilt and sex, and she breaks it open on his feet. Pastor Matt, I feel like there should have been a warning on, online about how like promiscuous and like certain words you were going to use in this message. Youth ministry and children's church is a recent development in the last 30 years. I wish teenagers and young people heard a message like this. Maybe if we didn't try to save them from so much, they would be saved for a whole lot more. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Maybe if we weren't trying to save them from so much, they would know that they've been saved for so much more. We decided to earmuff them around Jesus. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm not talking about decibel levels, baby. I'm talking about revelation. I'm talking about truth. I'm talking about we have a truth crisis in the earth right now when men believe they can be women and women can believe they can be men. And we start seeing these things happen in the earth. How have we gotten so misled? Probably because we've been trying to save them from so much. <laughs> instead of releasing them into what they are saved for. That's not even in my notes. That's the Lord right now. He's just like, rat-a-tat-tat. And so she breaks herself open. Worship team, you can make your way up here. She breaks in, she breaks out, and she, or she breaks in, she breaks up, and she breaks open. And so in this moment, Jesus is looking at her, and her response and he hears, he literally hears the thoughts of Simon the Pharisee. We should pause right there. Because <laughs> how many of you know we take a lot more thoughts captive? We would not give credence to things that birth in our minds that don't come from his mind. If we actually believe just this one portion of scripture, Jesus is a mind reader. You don't think he's reading your mind? You want to know how I know we don't believe that? You want to know how I know I have yet to receive that revelation entirely? I still say stupid things. <laughs> Somehow that gets past my lips. <laughs> I'm telling you, friends. I'm telling you, friends. Listen, listen, listen. You might think this is silly. Jesus is a mind reader. I am telling you. This puts a whole new light on take every thought captive. Because there are things that are not birthed in you, that should not come out of you, but they are placed in you by the enemy, by demons, by your own flesh. They turn against you and they work against the glory of God at work in your life. And I am telling you, in this moment, Simon probably wouldn't have got styled on by Jesus if he would have just taken that thought captive. And so no, Jesus had to put the Pharisee in his place. I am telling you, if we just, I'm, I'm dead serious. Some of us were like, we're not taking this serious right now. No, no, no. Jesus knows your thoughts. And Jesus responds to your thoughts. Well, I only thought it. I didn't say it. 
Well, I'm pretty sure even Solomon, who didn't have the Holy Spirit, just had the wisdom of God, was like, so a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Sorry, sorry, your thoughts matter. And your thoughts work against you. And your thoughts impregnate and, and birth things in you that you don't actually want to cultivate and see come to fruition in your lives. The Pharisee shows that in just a sentence of Scripture. We realize, wow, my thought life sucks. <laughs> Do you want to know why our thoughts life suck? Because we don't see him rightly. Because we don't think about him rightly. If the Pharisee was thinking about Jesus in that moment, he would not have had that thought. Because when you're in the presence of Jesus, you're not judging somebody else. When you're in the presence of Jesus, he's working on her. You're not worried about the work he's doing in her. You're waiting for him to start doing work in you. But the Pharisee don't do that. He starts passing judgment in his own mind. And I love in the Gospel of John, he's like, how do you know what kind of woman she is? Obviously already knowing the answer to that question. And so Jesus says to her, or says to him, Simon, suppose, suppose there's this farmer and he has these two guys and they have great debt. One's greater than the other. And he chooses to forgive in that moment both of them. Simon the Pharisee, who do you suppose loves him and is more grateful for him? Well, I reckon... I reckon the one who is forgiven the greater debt. You suppose correctly, Simon. See, we hear this verse and we think it's about how we love one another. You'll love others when you know you've been forgiven so much. You'll have grace on others because you realize how much grace you had on you. Yes, that's a great interpretation, but that's kind of like 1B to 1A. That's a good interpretation, but it's just not the God interpretation because that's not what happens here. No, no, no. She loves Jesus much because she knows how great her debt was. Simon loves Jesus little, if any, because he has no idea how great his debt was because he thinks he was raised in a Christian home in West Michigan and yeah, he smoked a few blunts and he had a little premarital sex and he only watched a little porn and otherwise he's been pretty good. He's never killed nobody or cheated on his wife. And we don't realize that sin in and of itself is simply missing the mark of God's best for our lives. And when we miss the mark for his uh, best in our lives, we miss him in our lives entirely. There's his way and then there's every other way. And so while Simon's going, it's a little bit of porn, it was a little bit of sex, it was a little bit of marijuana, it was a little bit of, it was a little bit to you, it was a whole lot to God. And last I checked, I wasn't the arbiter or the measure of my sin. He was. Would you stand? And so what happens in this moment is it's made very clear. It's made very clear in this moment. He says, daughter, your sins have been forgiven. 
by your faith, by your ability to come, to see me rightly, to show up, to refuse to be turned away. You reject your rejection. You despise being labeled an outsider so much that you found a way to make yourself an insider and out of your pursuit of me shall be my forgiveness, my grace, my mercy, and my outpouring for you. I'm fully aware that a message like this could shrink a church. I'm also incredibly hopeful that a message like this can revive a church. I'm incredibly hopeful that this tells you that the harvest is ready, but the workers are few and the workers need to get a fresh view of Jesus. I am telling you in this moment today, friends, we have a moment in time. There is a grace this morning to realign our gaze on Jesus correctly, to look at this message and we can look and see the scriptures and we can see God's heart for you and I, and we can realign our view. We can realign and fix our gaze on the one who can change everything and has already. He's just waiting for us to join in. I am telling you, friends, Jesus longs to be perceived a certain way, except he has a depth perception issue. Jesus has a depth perception issue. Pastor Matt, what do you mean? His issue is this. You're not close enough to be deep with him. That's his issue. You're not close enough to be deep with him. That's your issue. You see, while the Pharisee was fixated on perfection, the prostitute was fixated on position. Perfection does not beget position, but position always begets perfection. Can I say that again? Perfection does not always beget position, but position always begets perfection. Remember, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. How do you become holy as I am holy? You spend time, you get yoked with, and you cast on, and you take from the one who is holy. How do I become perfected? You get in the right position. How do I get perfect sexuality? You get in the right position. How do I get the perfect marriage? You get in the right position. How do I get perfect mental health? You get in the right position. Pastor Matt, what is the right position? The one where you can get the best view of him and see him rightly. Pastor Matt, what is that? Close to him close to him some of us we've been striving for perfection and we have been missing the position we've been missing the position because some of us we're hearing a message like this and you're like well pastor matt you don't want me just to be like downtrodden and sad all the days of my life and coming to jesus weeping and uh. i'm not necessarily saying that but what if god was asking that of you what if the position he has for you to best receive was you breaking off all of the things that you think set you apart and make you you and you start weeping before him talking to you men <laughs> I'm talking to you men if you can't weep before the Lord you will not stand before men for the Lord I am telling you I am telling you all of you proximity 
matters. But what we can see from the scripture, it's not just proximity, it's posture. There's a lot of P's today, Pharisees and prostitutes and presence and perfection and position, proximity and posture. Because you can be close to him and not postured right to love him. You could be close to him, around him, in the same circles of him, going to the same church that you know he goes to, like take over church, and yet you could feel like an outsider in the inside. Why? Because you're proximal, but you're not postured. Would you kill the lights? All of them. Yeah, kill them. We have a moment in time today, friends. There's a grace upon this house in this moment where we're going to sing a song called Worthy. Kayla is going to take us to the third heavens. We're actually going to sing a different song. <laughs> we're going to sing Give Me Jesus and Sydney's going to take us to the heavens. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you two seconds to pray about that. Anyways, <laughs> I was told when I arrived this morning we were finishing Worthy, so artists you know communication <laughs> but they're going to take us to the third heavens and I mean that you want to know why because God rides in on the praises of his people he goes to the low places and if you are in proximity which you clearly are and if you decide to be postured to receive from him without any, any obstruction. And you just say, come Lord Jesus, come, I guarantee. Or your money back. He will fall afresh on you. He will fall afresh on this place. Because friends, I'm telling you, whether you find yourself feeling like a Pharisee today, or you find yourself being a prostitute today, the presence of fire has the ability to cause you to do things you never thought you would do. To respond and react to him ways you never thought you would do. To cause you and beckon you and call out to you to break in, to break up that follow ground and to break open everything you love, everything you prize, everything you treasure at his feet. Position begets perfection, but only by proximity and posture. So I'm going to pray and we're going to begin to approach him rightly so we can see him rightly, so we can respond to him rightly, so we can worship him rightly, and so ultimately we can go and live for him rightly, and then we can minister for him rightly, and we can lead people to him rightly, and then we'll come back on Sunday and we'll rinse, wash, repeat in the blood. Amen? And I don't know if you noticed, but we got a lot of rugs in this place because we're making altars, baby. And I care about your knees. I'll pray for them, but I also want to make a way for you to come and rest in the presence of the Lord. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and we're going to institute a little phrase here. It's called, you have the run of the cabin. 
You're free to come to the altar. You're free to go and dance with flags. You're free to go and cry in the upper room. You're free to be wherever you want to be with the Lord. But where you're not free to be is where you're comfortable. Because the Pharisee was comfortable on the other side of his table. He was very uncomfortable at the sight of the woman at Jesus' feet. Amen. So, Father, I thank you for this bold church. I thank you for this beautiful church that we're big on the Bible. We're swole in the spirit, and we are lost in the eyes of Jesus. God, I thank you right now that we are saying, God, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, we want you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus. Oh, oh, God, I can't even finish this prayer. I can't even finish this prayer. We want you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus. Everything in us is responding. We want you, Jesus. We want you in our minds. We want you in our hearts. We want you in our wounds. We want you in our past. We want you in our present. We want you in our future. We want you in our sexuality. We want you in our marriage. We want you in our singleness. We want you in our careers. We want you in our goals. We want you in our ambitions. We want you in our dreams. We want you, Jesus. Oh, we've got to see him rightly, church. Oh, Father, as we begin to move, Lord, let us be uncomfortably comfortable in your presence, God. Right now, Lord, take the charismatic seatbelt off the room, God, and let us freely give it to the Spirit of God. Let us love you, Jesus. Oh, I want to break in on you. I want to break up before you, and I want to break open all that I am today. All that I am today. Oh, Father. Father, you can have my history, you can have my dignity, and you can have my body. If I could just have you, you can have everything. So we join in with the song of heaven and we begin to sing, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And sit as you take us to the third heavens. Uh, Kayla, God's just resting on your voice. So sit as you lead. Kayla, jump in and, and let's, just, let's just see the Spirit of God wreck everything today. He's riding in. He's riding in. Let's sing, give me Jesus. Oh, I want Jesus. I want to quit talking and I just want Jesus. Come, Jesus, come right now. Come, Jesus, come right now. Take us there, team. Take us there.